Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Mission Possible. As Christians, we are called to be on mission, longing and working to see God known and worshipped by people from every culture, from our own city to the ends of the earth. Today's text is going to be from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. Uh, Always they'll be up here on the screen and you can follow along. Hear now the word of our covenant God. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. There's an interesting thing. If you watch movies regarding World War II, if you watch the old movies that were kind of popular during the war and shortly after some of the old John Wayne movies and stuff, and then compare them to the movie Saving Private Ryan, one of the big differences was the old movies didn't really focus on the cost of warfare. You didn't see many people die, especially of the good guys, our side. You didn't see many of them die, and rarely did you see the main character that you were close to die. There were exceptions uh, to that, but that in general was the way it was. Saving Private Ryan is much more in line with many of the newer movies where the cost of warfare is front and center. Saving Private Ryan was a wonderful movie, but it's very graphic. It's very difficult to watch. And of course, the character that you really are closest to through the whole movie, you have to watch die at the end and pay the ultimate price and sacrifice. And they did this because it shows the cost of war. In war, contrary to kind of the way we used to do things and show it, uh, many people suffer and die. And many people suffer and die even on the good side, even on the victor's side. Um, And in fact, if you look forward, one of the reasons that, you know, we had had some of those movies, and then when it came to Vietnam, and instead of seeing a movie, you were seeing newsreels, America couldn't stomach the cost of the war. We, We didn't want to see that. We didn't want to hear that that was going on. And as a result, we ended up withdrawing from it. Well, I bring this up to us because we as the church need not have a sanitized view of what's going on here. There is a reality. We are in a spiritual war. And that spiritual war has a price that goes along with it, just as surely as a physical war does. And so today, we're going to talk about the price of mission. We've been looking throughout this whole series at the mission we're given in the church to do, and Today we're going to ask ourselves, what's the cost of accomplishing this mission? In every other area of life, if you're in a business, if you're in a community organization, if you're in the military, if there is a mission, you can bet there is a cost to accomplishing the mission. There is a price. Well, there is one in the church's mission as well, and today that's what we're going to talk about, that price of mission, which is suffering and sacrifice. Now, Acts chapter 9 gives us Paul's wartime call. The Apostle Paul, his initial call. And notice here what we're told is first, Paul, uh, or Ananias is told that Paul is going to be God's chosen instrument to carry his name. So we read in verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So notice, what a great honor. 
How many of you would like to have God say regarding you, you are my chosen instrument? I mean, I've got the whole world. I've got seven billion people, but I have chosen you. That would be pretty nice. That'd be pretty cool. We would like that. And Paul might think he's going to like that as well. And in fact, we hear what this mission is going to be is, you're going to carry my name before Gentiles and Jews. And Paul repeats this call several times. He does it in Acts 22, for example. So he's very well aware of the call. And he's going to carry God's name before Gentiles and Jews. And in fact, he's going to testify of Christ before both commoners and kings. Paul is going to not only just carry the message to those who he comes across, he's in fact going to get to stand in front of the kings of the Gentiles. He's going to get to stand in front of Caesar. He is called, he is anointed, he is blessed for mission. And that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, if we offered that, people would be lined up for that. Come here and you're going to receive a call, you're going to receive uh, an anointing, you're going to receive blessing for mission. We would have no shortage of people wanting to sign up for that. And that's exactly what Paul's got. And I have good news for everyone here. You too, just like Paul, are called, you are anointed, and you are blessed for mission. Is that good news to know that? Is that good news? It is. It's good news to know that. Here's a little bit more difficult news, is the rest of Paul's call, which we're also given. Because notice what it goes on in verse 16. As God's chosen instrument, Paul's going to suffer. We read in verse 16, he's not only got this call, but God says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, this is a promise from God to Paul. Here's my promise, Paul. I'm going to show you how much one person can possibly suffer for me and my namesake. Now, how many of you know that if we did altar calls that way, nobody would respond. If I stood up here and I said, okay, listen, everybody who comes to my left side, you're going to get calling and anointing and blessing. And if you choose to come to my right side, well, God promises he's going to use every resource at his disposal to show you how much you can suffer. Who would come to my right side? Anybody? See, if, if televangelists, they will call and tell you, give your seed gift of faith and you're going to get all of this blessing. They never say, sow your $100 and God's going to increase your suffering. Have you noticed that? You never hear a televangelist say that. I've offered that that's a message they should use, but nobody thinks I'm good at marketing when I say that kind of stuff for some reason because nobody wants to hear that, do they? See, in fact, if we were Paul and we heard this, we'd be like, well, I like the first part. Can we, can we negotiate on the second part? But the answer is no. The two go together. God's blessing and call does not prevent suffering for Paul. In fact, suffering and sacrifice is promised to Paul, and suffering and sacrifice are part of God's call. These aren't two separate calls here where you can accept one part and not accept the other. This is who Paul is called to be. Suffering and sacrifice are simply part of the mission for the Apostle Paul. And now we might ask ourselves at this point, 
was this all fulfilled? Well, the scripture is clear. It was all fulfilled. Paul writes to the Romans, and in uh, verses, chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, he says this, I'm not going to venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. Remember, he's, gonna, he's my chosen instrument. He's going to carry my name to the Gentiles. And Paul writes to the Romans years later and says, God's accomplished that. Christ has led the Gentiles to obey God. And he's done this by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Paul here is saying what God spoke to Ananias that day has in fact come to pass. And he's telling the Romans, I'm coming all the way over to you all so you can send me on to Spain because there's further places I'm going to go because I am on mission from that day that God called me. In our terms, back there in Acts 9, I have been on that mission and God has fulfilled that mission. I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ through all of these regions and Gentiles have come and have obeyed God. God has worked by the Holy Spirit. He has been with me in power and there have been miracles done. Now, once again, who likes to hear that? See, if I write a book or we do a seminar, you can pack them out with that message right there. And Paul says, that's true. That is, that is who I am and what God has done through me. In another passage, Paul tells us how that was done, how it was accomplished. And that passage is 2 Corinthians 11. Paul is defending his apostolic ministry. And he defends it this way. He's speaking of these false apostles of Christ who said, eh, Paul's not really that much. And in fact, sometimes they got into Paul because of all the suffering that Paul went through. And Paul's, here's how he defends it. He says, are they servants of Christ, these false apostles? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Now notice here, Paul does not say, I'm obviously uh, fulfilling more of an apostolic call by giving all kinds of good things. That's what the false apostles would have done. How does Paul want to show that God has worked through him? Hey, who's been flogged more often? Who's been in jail more? Who's been beaten more severely? Is that upside down to our way of thinking? Let's see, this is Paul, the apostle. This is how you can tell who's been called. Notice he continues on in verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. If Paul posted this and said, looking for members of my apostolic team, here's the documentary on what it's been like. How many people is he going to get to volunteer for that? I mean, nobody. But see, if he did the first part, the Romans 15 part, 
He'd have everybody lined out the back door. I want to be, be part of that, man. I want my name with that. But Paul says that's not two separate things. The one is built upon the other. You want to be part of the Romans 15? I have fully proclaimed Christ. Gentiles are obeying God. It's all over the place. And now I'm off to Spain. This is how you get there. There is no Romans 15 without 2 Corinthians 11 because there's no Acts 9.15 without Acts 9.16. There is a price to mission. This is part of God's promise, and it did not fail. Notice, God fulfilled his promise. Paul carried God's name before Gentiles, before commoners and before kings, before the people of Israel. God fulfilled that promise. And this passage in 2 Corinthians 11 shows us God was just as faithful to fulfill the other part of the promise. That is a litany of suffering that Paul went through. Paul, the man filled with the Holy Spirit to do miracles, the man who raised the dead, healed the blind, cast out demons, called commoners and kings to repentance and faith in Christ. And that's what his life looked like. Fulfilling mission required great suffering and sacrifice. Now, what we might want to do at this point, and if I were a better marketer, I would probably tell you, aren't you glad that what happened to Paul does not apply to you and me? There's only the problem of trying to be faithful to the Scripture. Because the fact is God has a a wartime call for the church. It wasn't just Paul You are called, you are anointed, you are blessed. Acts 9.15. You are also called to suffer and sacrifice, Acts 9.16, just like Paul. Now, why do I say that? First off, before we even look at other passages, I want you to recognize when Ananias receives this word, why is God having to tell Ananias, get up and go and do what I told you to do? Because when God told Ananias, look, Saul of Tarsus has come here, and he's seen me in a vision, and he's sitting, and he's waiting for you to come and put your hands on him and heal him. What is Ananias' response? You see, Lord, word probably hasn't reached you up there, but this guy kills us. That, that's what he does. So I, really, there's something else you want me to do here, right, Lord? I mean, this was a risk for Ananias to go. It was a risk for him to uh, go see Apostle Paul because, or not the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, because he's been killing believers, and he might kill Ananias. That's why he had come to that city, was specifically to grab believers and kill them. So Ananias is like, Lord, I, I think you're not quite up to the latest thing that's going on here. And God tells him, look, I'm aware of the risk, Ananias. Go. Do what I told you to do. Now, that is a real act of sacrifice. And if you don't believe so, think of what it would mean for you if you knew there was somebody that was here in Annapolis and they had come here to gather and kill Christians and God told you, go sit down and talk to them. I think we would all be, Lord, (laughs) we'd be very much like Ananias, wouldn't we? Well, that's exactly what's going on here. Now, we'll see that there was other people that joined in with Paul. In 2 uh, Timothy 2, 1 to 3, Paul shows us that, that Timothy has the same call that Paul did. And in fact, it extends not only to Timothy, but to all of us. In 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 3, he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now notice here, 
Paul's telling Timothy, you've received the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want you to be strong in that grace, Timothy. I want you to continue being rooted in the gospel and the grace of God. And then here's what you're going to do as you are personally rooted in the gospel and the grace of God in verse 2. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So you are going to proclaim the message that was given from me to you. You're going to proclaim it and give it to other people. You are, in fact, going to disciple others. And then they are going to join in the mission just like you are. So, Timothy, I received a call and a commission from God. I'm telling you the same things I've been doing, you're called to do the same things. And in fact, you're to take them and hand them on to someone else, and they're called to do the same things as well. And so it has gone from Paul to Timothy to those people to the next generation all the way down to today. Over 2,000 years we've been seeing this. But Paul then goes on in verse 3, and notice that again the mission is linked with the price. The price is endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. These verses are not disconnected. Timothy, you've got to be in the grace of God. You've got to personally have responded to the gospel. Timothy, you've got to be involved in reaching out to others and discipling them. And how are you going to do that, Timothy? Well, there's a price. You're going to have to endure hardship like a soldier of Christ Jesus. Because Timothy, if you're not willing to endure the hardship, if you're not willing to pay the price, you won't be on mission. You can't be on mission if you don't pay the price. To storm enemy-held territory requires suffering and sacrifice. There is no mission apart from sacrifice. Let me say that again. There is no mission apart from sacrifice. The American church is on a quest to discover how we can accomplish the mission of God and not have to suffer and sacrifice. We've made that our great aim. That's become our mission. Well, I can save us a lot of trouble. There is no way. You cannot storm the beaches of Normandy without cost. You can't storm the beaches down at Guadalcanal without cost. It's simply not possible. And it's not possible in this spiritual war. And in fact, we might say and take comfort at this point and say, well, that was Paul and Timothy. Timothy was on his team. So, fortunately, I'm not. I'm not on the apostolic team. Except for Paul continues in this same passage and tells us that it applies to all of us. 2 Corinthians, I mean 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 12, Paul says this. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. Notice for Paul, it's just all linked together. Okay? What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? Because this is the region that Timothy was from. You know what happened to me there. The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. So notice Paul's got his call, and that call includes suffering and persecution. And then he says in verse 12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay, 
I want y'all to work with me. Who thinks they can tell me what the Greek word for everyone means? Yeah. Every one. Every last one. Oddly enough, it means the same thing as the English word everyone means. There's no weaseling out of it as much as I would like to. And notice what Paul says. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, there is a price. And so Paul here is linking it together. He's been talking about his call, his mission, and he says, I've been through all this suffering and persecution. Timothy, you saw it yourself, and I want you to understand something, and you need to train the people in this when I left you behind in Ephesus. This is true for everyone, Timothy, not just me. Everyone is going to face this. All Christians are called to the same pattern. So the call to suffering and sacrifice for the sake of the mission was not unique to Paul. It is the call of every believer. In essence, we've all received Acts 9, 15, and 16. We are called. We are anointed. We are blessed for mission. And all we have to do to activate that is be willing to suffer and sacrifice. But there is no mission apart from that suffering and sacrifice. Now, if we think about this message, we can extend it not only seeing that it was true in Paul's case, and it was true in Timothy's case, and it was to those Christians he wrote to. We've seen the same thing has been true all the way down through church history. The early church endured massive suffering for centuries. They were being liquidated by the Romans. I've stood in the spot in Rome when we were there and we had a guy on a tour and we were across from the Colosseum and we were standing there and the guy said, do you know what happened here? And we were like, well, they told us they trained gladiators here. And we just walked up this little curved driveway and he said, yes, but this was where Nero lit the Christians on fire. Right here, you just walked up that spot, that little path right there. Our heads swam, our knees buckled, and we realized this was where Christians suffered and died for the faith, right here. And it was such a common thing, Tertullian, the early church leader, in his apology for the faith, his defense of the faith, said this, your tortures accomplish nothing, though each is more refined than the last. Rather, they are an enticement to our religion. We become more numerous every time we are hewn down by you. The blood of Christians is seed. How's that for a response when somebody's been killing you? Tertullian says, it doesn't matter what you do. When you cut us down and we bleed out on the ground, that blood's just seed. More Christians pop up. You can't kill us out because all you're doing is spilling seed for more believers. This is Tertullian in 200. It's been going on and on. And the worst persecutions of the church were yet to come. The worst persecution the church faced was in the early 300s, right before Constantine became a Christian to become emperor. It was the worst persecutions Christians ever faced in the early 300s. And in fact, it became the seed for many of the greatest leaders of the early church coming out of that persecution. This was the experience of the early church. The cost of mission to reach hostile, lost people has continued all the way down to our own day. In the great missions movement of the early 1900s, the 18 and 1900s, 
when we went into Africa where the gospel had not penetrated. Uh, one historian summarized it this way. The Congo, which is really kind of central Africa, as much as any area of Africa lived up to the reputation of, quote, a white man's graveyard, because it was obviously people were going and doing cross-cultural missions. Only one out of four missionaries survived the first term of service. One out of four. What if we had people sign up? We got a mission thing going, and you have a one in four shot of coming back. And by the way, we've arranged with the airlines, you don't take luggage, because this was the case, you're going to pack your stuff in a coffin. It just makes it cheaper and easier. You know, Christians lined up to go there and do that? One out of four. Guess where we have about the highest percentage of Christians in Africa today? Right there. The blood of martyrs was seed for the church. Some of the largest churches, most vibrant churches in the world are in the places where, where missionaries were slain and made martyrs by the thousands where they died sometimes just from disease and sickness, but sometimes because they were killed and slaughtered for their faith. The mission has always been fulfilled at the cost of suffering and sacrifice by believers from the early church to the present day. There is no mission accomplished apart from suffering and sacrifice. The only way to a life of ease is compromise and refusal to join God's mission. Say that again, because this is, I know this is counterculture. Aren't y'all glad this is a cheery message again? But please understand this. The only way to a life of ease, which is what we want, admit it, let's all be honest. You want a life of ease, and so do I. I wish I could come up with some way, study Greek, Hebrew, get there and say, this isn't all true. But it is. The only way to a life of ease is compromise and refusal to join God's mission. There is no other way. Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There will be sacrifice. There will be suffering. Now, what does that look like in this spiritual war? First, Spiritual warfare requires suffering on the battlefront. Those things I said of Tertullian, the blood of martyrs being seed, the things of going to the Congo and only one out of four missionaries surviving, let me be very, very clear. Those taking the gospel to unreached people groups will have to pay much in terms of suffering and sacrifice. One of the fastest growing churches in the world right now is Afghanistan. Because in the providence of God, and I heard a man giving testimony to this, a, a, a man uh, had been working in Uzbekistan as a missionary with his wife and his two daughters. They were attacked one evening because it was known what they were doing, that they were actually there. They weren't there to do business, which is what their cover was. They were there preaching the gospel of Christ. And while they were there, men broke in one night with hatchets and hacked the man and his wife and left them for dead. They, came, they went to Germany. They were recovering. The man, against the wishes of his family, as you can imagine, and his wife's family said, we're going back to Uzbekistan. And he went back while his wife was still having to recover because she had major mental injuries. 
head injuries from being attacked with these hatchets. He went back. While he was there, he went back to get his wife, and they went back. The family was really freaking out at this point. What are you all doing? And he said, by the way, he said, I took this little side job where I was actually, uh, I'm, I'm the head of all the non-governmental organizations in Uzbekistan now. It means once or twice a year I have to set up some chairs, and we do a meeting, and we talk about this. He said, and we landed, and a few days later we turned on our TV and watched planes slamming into the World Trade Center. Because it was right before 9-11. And then as America launched into Afghanistan to go get the Taliban, Afghanistan said, uh, we need people to come in here and do relief work, and I guess the closest place is Uzbekistan. So who's in charge of all the non-governmental organizations there? And this missionary was like, I am. So who's going to get in here? And he said, every missionary I knew in Uzbekistan was going into Afghanistan taking the gospel in. That's when the Afghani church began to grow. But a number of those missionaries died because they were found out. And when they were found out, they're put to death. That's not long ago. That's happening in our lifetime. That's going on now. You can't penetrate this darkness without suffering and sacrifice. You simply can't. It will be impossible to storm these beaches of darkness without people paying the price. The greatest areas of spiritual darkness are also the greatest areas of suffering and the greatest areas of growth in the church. If I list to you many of the areas and say, this is where Christians are suffering the most, I can also list and say, and this is where the church is growing the fastest. It's still that way. And we, I, I know what's going on right now because I've got it going on in my mind got to be a way I can work around this. There isn't one. There is no way. We can sit in England and look at Nazi-held Germany all day long. There is no way other than we're going to have to hit the beach. There's just no other way. And when you hit the beach, there's a price to be paid. It can't be sanitized out. The blood and suffering of Christians is still seed for the church. Now, that may be where we say, well, Thankfully, I'm a radical sender and not a radical goer. Let me speak a little bit to us who are here. I want to let us know that the spiritual war here in the USA is likely to require real suffering soon as well. Okay? And let me say why. I want to continue that passage in 2 Timothy 3. Here's what Paul says, 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Notice, not everyone who goes as a foreign missionary, not everyone who penetrates hostile territory will suffer persecution. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Wanting to live a godly life is increasingly rejected by this culture. It just is. Let's wake up. And I do not care what happens on Tuesday. Let me tell you, that's not going to shift. The only thing that's going to change that for which you and I ought to be praying is a third great awakening. And I mean, it's going to take a great awakening that they will be writing about in history books that people will bump into you in heaven and say, what was it like? Apart from that and that level, we are in a society that is increasingly rejecting 
godliness. And if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, there's going to be suffering. To stand in the face of our current immorality will likely cost us socially. Okay? You're going to have friends who reject you as a friend because you won't get with the program. It's going to require suffering financially. If things continue the way they are, you may not be allowed to work certain jobs as a Christian. And if that happens, we will just fall in line with most Christians who've lived down through the ages. That's exactly what they've had to face. It's what they've gone through. If we're going to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, we may suffer politically. There are some Christians who I think naively think there's enough evangelicals we can run this country. I don't know what strange drugs you did back in the 1970s, but we're not remotely anything like that. Ask yourself how many God-fearing, spirit-filled believers you really know. Ask yourself. Because the percentage isn't that there's not some mythical place out there where there's 100 million of us. There's just not. And we need to wake up and recognize that. And when that happens, here's the call. It's the same call it was in the early church where they said, all you have to do is just pinch a little incense and say, Caesar's Lord, Kaiser Kurios. Not a big deal, except it is a big deal because I can't pinch that incense and I can't say Kaiser Kurios. All I can say is, Yesu Kurios, Jesus is Lord. And then they say, if you do that, there's a price to be paid. And the church has to say, then I paid the price. But I'm going to be faithful to God, not to what the culture wants. And everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, where there is deception going on, like there is in our culture right now, is just going to have to wake up. I, I don't like this message. I don't like the implications of what it means for my children and grandchildren. I'm old enough, they'll probably just leave me alone because I'm old. But we best wake up. We, we don't do ourselves any good by showing sanitized movies and saying we actually accomplished World War II and very few people got hurt and suffered. That's just not the case. Not the case at all. We have to wake up and see that even here. Now, there's also spiritual suffer, uh, uh, in spiritual warfare, there's not only the battlefront, there's also home front, which means even while we're waiting, and I pray, if let's say the third great awakening comes and we don't have any of that, our culture, in fact, blesses you for desiring to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? I would love nothing better than that, okay? So don't hear like I'm wanting the other. I really don't. But let's say that it did happen. There is still something for us, which is that we're to be on the home front. And in total war, those on the home sacrifice for the war effort as well. Anybody who is alive well enough to remember in World War II or if you've studied it in history, you know that's one of the differences between what went on. Post 9-11, you and I didn't sacrifice. Not if you were here. If I wanted something, I went down and bought it. There weren't ration cards. 
people didn't say, well, I had been staying at home, but now i got to go because every man I knew in town is all gone. But see, that's what total war is. There is sacrifice not only on the battlefront, but back on the home front. You do without things on the home front so that there is the, the resources that are needed on the battle front. And that's exactly what happened in World War II. And it's what needs to happen in the church today. Whether America is a battlefront or not does not mean that there are not battlefronts all over this world. We are engaged in worldwide spiritual war. And even if you and I are on the home front, we are required to sacrifice for that. Let me give a quote by John Piper from his book on missions called Let the Nations Be Glad, speaking of this mentality. And he said, most people do not believe this, that we're in war. We're in a spiritual war. We don't really believe this in our heart. Most people show by their priorities and their casual approach to spiritual things that they believe we are in peacetime, not wartime. In wartime, families talk about sons and daughters on the front lines and write to them and pray for them with heart-wrenching concern for their safety. In wartime, we are on the alert. In wartime, we spend money differently. There is austerity, not for its own sake, but because there are more strategic ways to spend money. Now, if you go back and you study, that's exactly true of what happened in World War II. We were worried about that person on the front. We were, we were praying for them every day. You were, you were concerned and doing it. And you were doing without here to care for them there. Does that characterize the Western church? That we are sacrificing. We are doing without so that the mission can be carried on out there. To the degree that it does not what we really believe is we're in peace, not in war. But I can tell you, until Jesus comes and plants his feet back on this planet, we're in war. We're just in wartime. The 100 years war we thought was long, there's actually been a several thousand year war going on. <laughs> From the Garden of Eden forward, we're in spiritual war. And so we who are not on the front lines of spiritual war are called to sacrifice time. We are called to sacrifice money. We are called to sacrifice prayer for the cause of the mission. It's not a once in a while thing. It is a consistent, continual thing. One of the reasons we don't do mission week here at Bay Ridge, like a lot of churches have mission week and we bring some missionaries in and we talk about the mission. Why, why do we not do that? How many weeks are mission week? Every week is mission week. Every day is mission day. There is no specific week where we're like really in the mission now. The war's going on constantly. We would have never said during World War II, we're going to have war week, and everybody's going to talk about the war. How often did you talk about the war? Every day you talked about the war because the war consumed us because it was total war, and that's what we're called to now. What does this mean for us applying the word? There is uh, just basically two questions. Number one, do I see God calls all Christians to sacrifice and suffer for the sake of the mission? Do I understand that what I'm saying is this is not a select few. This is everyone. It applies to all. We've understood this regarding the persecuted church. Many of us would say, well, there's a price to mission, which is there is a persecuted church. And that is true, but it requires more than just sympathy from you 
and from me. It requires us sacrificing to support the mission. It requires us being willing to suffer to support the mission. We are likely to be called upon to suffer ourselves with the darkness increasing in our culture. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope, I hope, I hope I am wrong. But I don't think I am. There are likely to be real costs. Careers may be lost to stand up for truth. We may struggle financially to stand up for truth. Do we see that that's just part of the faith? So that as we unpack this question, do we see that this applies to us? Am I willing to do without a life of ease so that the mission might be accomplished? Don't just quickly run over it. Ask ourselves, am I more concerned with life of ease or mission accomplishment? And let's be honest, our default position is we want life of ease. All human beings do. And then our culture has put that on steroids because that's what we're about is life of ease. Does that eclipse my desire for the mission? Am I willing to stand for the faith if our culture punishes me for doing so? This may really be, what if we're told, if you hold to that position, you will lose your job? Or just burn that pinch of incense. Which will I do? Make no mistake, the accomplishment of mission requires suffering and sacrifice. It is not a bloodless war. There is no such thing. But I want to encourage us as well, and as you're going through that question, I want to remind you, Jesus has promised to reward suffering and sacrifice. He's not a cruel taskmaster. I'm not going to put this verse up there, but Jesus says this in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, when the apostles had said, we, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus told them this, Mark 10, 29, 30. Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields along with persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. God promises promises. If you sacrifice, he will bless. You will never outgive God. You will never struggle or, or suffer more than God has done in our behalf. And Jesus says, even in this life, you will receive more blessing than what you ever sacrificed, no matter what you've given up, even if it's your home, your field, your family, no matter what it is, you will receive more in this life. There will be persecution. There will be suffering and sacrifice. But know this, in the age to come, eternal life. Everything is given to you. So don't take this as just, you know, God's not sitting up there saying, suffer, suffer, suffer. He's saying there is a reward that is given. And that leads to the second point with which we come to the table. And that is, do we see that Christ has won the victory for us? The reason we suffer and we sacrifice is what Jesus has told us. In John 16, Jesus said this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, 
but take heart, I have overcome the world. Okay? The, the message for us to understand is in this age of mission, there is trouble in this world. There just is. There are those who are arrayed against the mission of God. And for us to be on mission will require suffering and sacrifice. But there is peace. There is shalom in Christ because he has overcome the world. He has done this for us. And this is a huge theme in the book of Revelation. If you read it over and over again, it's be of good cheer, I have conquered. The lamb has conquered. And he has conquered not only temporal suffering and sacrifice, but death itself. And that's what we remind ourselves of every time we come to this table. Because the ultimate pain, the ultimate suffering, the ultimate sacrifice. You remember Jesus put the question this way. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world? You want life of ease? You got the whole world. And all it cost you was your soul. Is that a good bargain? It's a fool's bargain. But see, Jesus tells us that be of good cheer. I've already won the victory for you. And whatever you suffer and sacrifice in this age for me and for the gospel, I'll give you a hundred times as much in this life. And on that day, your soul is saved. Whatever they took away in this life, you have your soul. And so, I want to encourage us to come and recognize today Christ has suffered in our place and he's already entered into glory. This is not a battle that we need guess who's won. He's already conquered. He's already raised the flag. It's done. Our victory is sure. In light of that, we're just faithful and we do what he calls us to do. So, we're going to come to the table, and I encourage, if you are a believer, you believe the gospel, the very thing we're talking about that is the mission, that Christ has lived and died for us and been raised for us, that he is at the right hand of God even now interceding. We encourage you to participate with us. You don't have to be a member of our church. And for all of us, I want us to recognize as we participate in this sacrament what Christ has done suffering in our behalf and securing victory for us. What I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, this morning we come to this table and we recognize that it is the table of suffering and sacrifice but it is also the table of victory. Because Jesus was broken for us, but he has been raised for us. And he who is broken and raised will come again. And so Lord, we come to this table this morning to receive power 
that we might walk in the footsteps of Christ. In his name, amen. As you get the elements, let's please hold on to them. I encourage us to think through that question regarding the suffering and sacrifice, but do it in light of the fact of what Christ has already done for us. Lord, this morning as we have considered this text and this deep principle from your word, Father, it's tough. And Lord, we want to be clear as we stand at this table that we don't receive a call of suffering and sacrifice because we think that's redemptive and that makes us your people. Father, we could never suffer enough to pay for our own sin. We gave up our life. We gave up everything we owned, surrendered it all. Father, it would accomplish nothing. Lord, we hold this bread in our hands to remind us where salvation comes from. It's not our suffering, but the suffering of Jesus Christ. It's not our sacrifice, but the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. And Father, this morning, we say that we have nothing other than Jesus. We are grateful that as he came on mission, he did not flinch from the cost. But he came and he gave his life as a ransom for many. And oh, our God, we are grateful that we are a part of that many. Oh, our God, we are grateful that he was broken that we might be healed that he was cursed, that we might be blessed, that he was put to death, that we might be raised again, or raised from the dead, and that he has been raised and is seated at your right hand to guarantee that we will stand in your presence as your people forever. Father, we are grateful for the broken body of Jesus Christ, and we proclaim this morning that whatever our call and lot in this life is, our hope is not in our own suffering, but in his. We say thanks be to God for the body of Jesus Christ. Take and eat. Father, as we hold this cup that is the symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ, this cup that is the cup of the new covenant, which was sealed in his very blood. Lord, we are grateful for all that it represents. Father, we are grateful that our sins have been forgiven. Lord, I am grateful that the times when you told me to storm the beach and I hid instead, they are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I am grateful that all the times where I have failed and broken covenant with you, you have never failed and broken covenant with me. And that that is sealed, not by my obedience, but by his. Not by the blood of a bull or a goat. Not by a religious ritual, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we are so grateful for that blood. And we are grateful to know that it 
cleanses us from all of our sins and that it sustains and keeps us and it sustains and keeps the covenant by which we are your people now and forever. And that because of this blood, as we began our worship today, Lord, we remind ourselves there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No famine, persecution, peril, nakedness, danger, sword, nothing can separate us from you because the blood of Christ has secured us forever. Thanks be to God for the blood of the Lamb. Take and drink. Father, I pray for us as your people that as we consider the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf, as we consider your deep abiding love for us, Lord, I pray that we would have peace in Christ. Lord, I pray no matter what trouble this world would bring this week, that we would have peace because we are secure in Jesus. Father, I pray that according to your word, we would endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that when evil men and imposters would pressure us to compromise on the faith, we would say we have already been told and known that everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And we will take our lot knowing to whom we have committed ourselves and knowing that in this life you are with us and you will bless us. There is nothing the world can do to take away more than you have given to us in Christ. And that on that day, in that age, we will have eternal life, secure and enjoying you forever and ever. God, I pray you will fasten that before us and on our lips would be the words of Jesus. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Father, I pray we would answer with a resounding, we will not gain the whole world we would forfeit the world for the sake of God and his mission and his gospel. Father, we would do it in light of the day when we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Father, would you give us your Holy Spirit in fullness to keep us this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I encourage you to receive the word of God's blessing I'm going to give us out of Psalm chapter 20. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and may he give you the desire of your heart and make your plans succeed. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.